0: they've been inspired by, by what we've done. That's humbling. And, and that just goes to show you that change comes in waves. Change, change doesn't happen in one big tsunami. You know, it, it's an evolution and it's waves of change.
1: From Deergo Collective, this is Responsibly Different, sharing stories of certified B corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. Ben Marine and happy Earth Day. I'm so excited that you're tuning in on such a special day. I hope you're able to get outside and enjoy some of your favorite outdoor spaces. And while you're at it, give back to the spaces that have given so much to you. Do a local cleanup right in your own backyard. In this episode, United by Blue founder Brian Linton shares with us the inspiration for United by Blue and the impact that they are having on the planet and their local communities. United by Blue is an apparel and hard goods retailer focused on the outdoor lifestyle. Something that makes them unique is that for every product that they sell, they commit to cleaning up one pound of trash from the ocean through their community cleanups and through funding specific cleanup projects. In 2020 alone, they cleaned up 981,861 pounds of trash, despite having to cancel all their community cleanup events keep listening to learn more about united by blue and how they are responsibly different to kind of kick us off right i'm i'm just curious where did the inspiration to launch united by blue come from
0: united by blue was like many businesses inspired by by my childhood by my upbringing and i i grew up predominantly in southeast asian singapore and and while growing up i was always fascinated with the aquatic world, um, mostly what lives within water fish, namely. And, uh, so I had 30 fish tanks in my bedroom growing up. I was a bona fide fish geek. And, uh, so I, I would, would raise fish. I would breed them. I would sell them. I was a a little, little like fish, fish dealer, fish kingpin in, uh, in high school. And, uh, you know, I sold one fish when I was in when I was like 18 for like $1,000, a living fish. So I was really into the world of fish. And one thing you know about fish when you're you're raising these high value fish is the quality of the water is paramount. And if you don't have good quality water, specifically what the fish needs, um, you run the risk of them getting sick and dying. And so really it was always shocking to me when I would see how poorly oceans and waterways were treated in terms of quality of water. And when I when I moved to the states and I saw that this was not just a third world problem that I was seeing, you know, say in in Indonesia or the Philippines or Vietnam, but but also something that I was seeing, you know, in New York City and Philadelphia where I you know first came to and, and spent a lot of time. It was evident to me that you know this this was a global issue that needed addressing. And so when I started my my, my original business, sort of the predecessor of United by Blue, it was, it was to donate money to ocean and waterway conservation and. In doing so, throughout college, I was doing that business and doing okay with that business, but I wasn't really having any impact. Uh, financial donations as a small business are notable and honorable, but they're not that impactful. The, the notion and the realization that I had when I when I you know had been doing this for a few years is that I really felt like I was going to be a lot more effective by creating an organization. That was essentially doing the actual work that I envisioned happening with my donation, so basically cutting out the middleman from the doing of good, and so united by blue, you know and this is early on, like I started business in two thousand and six when social entrepreneurship was not even really a word, nor was businesses having much of a environmental or tangible impact aside from giving money away was a thing so You know, Blue started as sort of a a first mover and vanguard in this space when it comes to associating every transaction with an environmental action. And and so, for 11 years, we've been picking up a pound of trash for every product that we sell. And um, that that model has always been the case. It's always been what we've done, but it's evolved greatly in how we do it and the scale that we do it as well. So we're, you know, removing well over a million pounds of trash a year now. Um, through a variety of different means, all organized and created and hosted by us. Though we are the environmental organization as well as the brand.
1: That's so incredible, and and I think what is so and really neat about that is I, I noticed in this last year you all have moved into more international uh, waters, if you will, uh, with with that cleanup program. And so not only are you cleaning up the ocean, but you're also providing jobs. Which is really cool. Can you speak a little bit to how, you know, that kind of bridge was formed?
0: Sure. So, I mean, honestly, international cleanups have been really accelerated by COVID because we had so much, so many of our cleanups on an annual basis in the U.S. were large-scale community cleanups where where we would get you know hundred, two hundred, three hundred people out to a to a to a, a dirty river or beach and and do a cleanup together and. You know, we'd make them fun events where people would come out. They would, you know, get to play games. They, you know, it really, really much. You know, these these big events that no longer happen. And so, when when COVID happened, we had to cancel dozens of cleanups that we had scheduled. We had the whole cleanup calendar for 2020 wiped out, and we were faced with a real challenge of of meeting our mission. And and we've always also had these larger scale cleanups that are less. Sensitive to COVID, which you know, use fewer people, heavy machinery. We finance all of that. We bring in, you know, cranes and bulldozers to pull out big trash. Right now, we're doing a cleanup in Miami, and there was a, a like a sailboat washed up in the mangroves that we had to like get out of there because it could it, it, it was impacting the mangroves. And and like so, we do like that's not a community cleanup. We can't have a hundred people go try to do something like that. So th- those events have have always been a part of who we are. Now on the international side of things, yeah, actually working with organizations overseas to finance both infrastructure, whether or not that be like boons in, in, in like waterways or canals that that actually like like will trap the trash from going out to sea and then collecting it before so basically taking ocean bound trash um, and financing the management of that. So 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 the jobs that are basically needed to service those. Service that on a regular basis is is a new thing that we're doing, um, which is an economic benefit to areas that you know traditionally have more poverty and economic hardship than than say North America, um especially in say like the Philippines, Indonesia, um we're doing a project in Bali right now, um, which is many many people realize this now over the last few years it's gotten a lot of publicity. but like Bali is the most beautiful, magical place, but it's also in Indonesia, which is, just such a huge source of single use plastic waste that's getting into the ocean and all of it's coming through these waterways. And so addressing it, addressing it in these concentrated sort of channels before it gets into the ocean is so critical because once it gets in the ocean, it is a lot harder harder to pick up. But yeah, from a from a from a domestic standpoint, you know, we've 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 done a lot with these large scale cleanups, which are paid activities where, you know, we're we're financing the, the actual labor and the heavy machinery that's needed. And then internationally, also financing it through ongoing maintenance programs of areas that need ongoing collection, disposal, maintenance of the of, of the equipment and things like that.
1: That's so cool. And I want to back up a little bit and kind of better understand the, the volunteer efforts, because I know just from my own background in, in political organizing, how hard it can be to to recruit volunteers and, and get folks in, involved in, in that way. I'm curious how did how did you go from just small community local cleanups to nation and even worldwide volunteer large events? So
0: our community when I say community cleanup, that is like the volunteer based cleanups versus like the large scale cleanups or like the, the the international cleanups, which are also more of the, the 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 paid sort of finance labor cleanup. So the the community cleanups are the the heart and soul of United by Blues history. Um, from day one, you know, it was about creating a venue and an outlet for people to participate in a cleanup and do good. And oftentimes, you know, people are looking, especially pre-COVID, people are looking for something to do on the weekends to give back or to do something with their friends or family or teach their kids how to do service. And so United by Blue, you know, back in 2010, when we first started our cleanups, uh, you know, identified cleanups as, as just an amazing way to spend two hours outdoors and do something good and so early on it was incredibly challenging as you know to to give volunteers especially to an organization that was not known that didn't really have any reputation so you know oftentimes it was me and a couple other people at a cleanup in 2010 2011 um, you know trying to just like I mean man those are the those are the those are the those are the hardest cleanups for me because like I had to you know we were like we were accomplishing our mission by like going out there on Saturdays and like you know, picking up trash for hours and hours and 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 then they evolved slowly over time to dozens of people and then, you know, 50 people. And then and then and then before we knew it, um, we were having issues with capacity and parking and and how much trash is an area have does it have enough for us to stay busy for two hours. Um and so, you know, pre COVID, we were regularly drawing two to three hundred people out of the cleanup and oftentimes and we had sign ups so we actually had to cut, you know, cut sign offs off, oftentimes, uh, it was pretty magical. It was pretty amazing. I mi- I miss those days a lot, and I think they'll return no problem. I, I do think United you know, by Blues sort of volunteer efforts will, you know, later this year will will bring them back online. But um, but we couldn't in good conscience keep keep encouraging that amount of people to get together to do an event, even if it was outdoors. Um, those 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 efforts um, had to stop. So, but but those those are all volunteers. Those are people that just want to do good and. United by Blue is basically providing the organization, the structure, the venue to do it. And so you know it's not it's not rocket science to pick up trash. I'll, I'll give you that like at least at these like more community-based cleanups it, it literally is like what you envisioned. it's just walking around picking up trash. what's what's hard is organizing and getting mobilizing that number of people and that's what United by Blue, as a community-based brand, as a community community-based environmental organization, became really good at.
1: That's really cool, and we actually have testimony uh, from a previous guest to how kind of magical those spaces are. Uh, ben Conniff, the co-founder of Luke's Lobster, was on the show and talked about how, at a United by Blue United by Blue cleanup, he proposed to to his now wife. So that's kind of that's really cool.
0: Wait, what? I didn't know that he proposed to his wife at one of those cleanups. I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've been um, I've been at a ton of cleanups with Luke's lobsters and, and, and you said Ben, right? Or, yeah, yeah. No, no, ben. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ben. And, um, yeah, I didn't know he proposed to his wife and wife. Wow. That's awesome. That's so, that's so cool. Um, those are, by the way, those are the best cleanups because getting a complimentary lobster roll at the end of a cleanup is, is really clutch. That's, that's, a that's a great, and that's also like, testament to like the value add of like how we try to like bring in partners it's great for loose lobsters to be there and associated with with a great event it's it's good for them to give back but it's also great for the volunteers then to feel like they got something of of you know true true value like it's not like a bag of chips it's it's a you know it's a nice lobster roll and and it's a great way to end the cleanup around your friends and family you know at a cleanup so it's pretty cool
1: that is really cool i'm I'm so kind of talking about plastics and, and picking up stuff out of the ocean, something that I thought was really cool is how you all kind of own a dependency on single use plastic with an eye towards kind of qu- qu- quitting single use plastic, if you will. And, and I think that's something that a lot of us probably share, right? That we're all kind of more dependent on single use plastic than maybe we realize. I'm curious, where are you all at in your journey in quitting single use plastic? So we've made,
0: we've made really good progress. Um, with that since we announced that initiative a year plus ago. And um, yeah, I mean, like little little tiny bit backstory on that was like, we we realized that we're doing all these cleanups. We're trying to be the best sustainable brand that we could be. And and really when we sort of peeled back the covers and we're like, damn, but we're just, we're not doing a good enough job with, with our own supply chain. A lot of the invisible stuff that the consumer never even really sees, we weren't doing the best with. Whether or not that was poly bags from our manufacturers, which oftentimes are like, just like an unspoken you know nastiness of all production in the world is like you make a product it goes in a plastic bag and then the, the consumer may never see that bag but it, it it was in a plastic bag at one point in its life you know our, i mean our our biggest thing that we did right after that sort of announcement and realization was we 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 were able to eliminate all of the polybag usage in the company across all products and initially we went to like paper wrap most recently we we've we partnered with this really great paper company that makes a a paper polybag essentially called Vela. And it's uh it's a really cool product that essentially performs similarly to what the purpose of a polybag is, which is to protect the product. So you make a product, you want to protect it, it goes in a plastic bag. Well, you know, paper is a little bit more expensive and also a little bit more challenging to Protect the product, but this Velo bag does a good job with it. So, again, that's a huge, I mean, that's saving, you know, a million plastic bags a year. And just think, I mean, we're small, like, if are bigger companies that are making, you know, 100 tens of millions, 100 million units of product, that's just a ton of plastic usage. And all of that is usually landfill, ocean based plastic, bound, not based. Um, and then, uh, what else? I mean, uh, across the board, the other plastic usages in the company are sort of small compared to poly bags. But, you know, we've, we've, we've really eliminated 70 to 80% of all the plastics that we identified back, back at that time. So we're, we're, we're really pleased with that progress. And it's not something that's not to say that the team hasn't done a great job with it, but it's not, it's not that hard. Like we, we, humanity and businesses should do, should, should try. Like it's, it's, it's really at the end of the day, like, plastic is a convenience and the reason why people use it is is because of that it's not because we need it you know it's a convenience it's a cost and it's a convenience um, so plastics are not a bad thing there's plenty of good usages for plastic there's certain things that should indeed be plastic prosthetics you know medical stuff anything that's like you know really has a has a real positive intended purpose and a and a longer lifespan than 10 minutes is a great use of plastic, um, especially if it's done responsibly. Things that you consume once, throw away, take out, all of that is a really bad use of plastic. I mean, the, the, I, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, but like the fact that like a, a takeout container is made of plastic makes perfect sense from a usability standpoint. But from a functionality standpoint, why is that like, a, I don't know, Tupperware made of plastic and you, and you have it for like 20 years? It's the same material, but you choose to throw one away and keep one for, you know, dozens of years. It doesn't add up. It's the wrong use. It's the wrong application. And that's what we find at our cleanups. We find single-use plastics without a doubt. That's what that's what's out there.
1: So I'm so curious so for maybe manufacturers that might be listening to this, how did you make that switch from polybags? Like did you literally just call up your supplier and say, "Hey, like ditch the plastic or we're going somewhere else?" Or did you find a totally different vendor or how how what's kind of the best way for folks to navigate that?
0: So with vendors, you know, fortunately we are at a point in the world of and the dialogue around sustainability where manufacturers have to be receptive to that type of conversation. If they're not, you know, and it's something you care about, then you're probably not with the right type of supplier. Um, that being said, our suppliers were, we're all very receptive to it, but the actual execution of anything at scale is, is easier said than done. And so with, with all of our suppliers we had to create we had to, we had to develop the solution and create the 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 basically the process and tutorial for how we wanted to do it so with apparel initially we had to figure out exactly how we were going to roll or, roll or fold the apparel and wrap it and sticker it in a way that was going to keep the apparel from unfolding and becoming a mess you don't want to get a box like logistically there's a lot of moving pieces when you receive and ship product, and so having things stay presentable is is critical. And that's one thing that a poly bag helps do. Is like you know if you ever order from an e commerce vendor and it comes in a poly bag, even if the box has been tossed around, like the shirt within the poly bag is clean and it's probably still folded, even if even if the packaging of the box wasn't done well. When you don't use a poly bag, you have you have to you have to be a lot more conscientious of then. You know, is that paper going to get ripped? Is the paper going to, if it gets a little bit wet, you know, all of these issues. So, um, so we had to create that process to make sure that for each different garment, because how you do a t-shirt would be different, how you do a pant versus how you do a jacket and, and, and basically trial and error. Some of that, since we've moved over to Vela bags now, they act a lot more similarly to poly, poly bags. So that's been a great, a great evolution, but Really it's 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 a constant dialogue with our suppliers. It's it's an earnestness on their part to try to evolve their ways, knowing that the world's changing and that brands like us are 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 the brands that in ten years will be maybe their main customers. We may not be that right now, but that's the evolution of how the how business works and how sustainability is going right now as well. And and really, you know, like like being willing to invest a little bit. You know, you as a business. We are a business. We are capitalists. You know, we believe in building a business that is a for-profit enterprise. But at the same time, there are certain aspects of running a business like this that will be a little bit more costly. And um, you know, poly bag is like a cent, if that. Whereas like uh, paper bag or wrap is several cents or five cents. You know, and so it's it's meaningfully more. But when you really think about the grand scheme of things, is that worth it? And is that where we should be putting our money? Because we sure as hell spend money on Facebook ads and Instagram ads and like other things. So like, it's just a matter of like, it's just like anything in life. What you decide to spend your money on and focus on shows your values more than anything.
1: Absolutely. All about, all about prioritization for sure.
0: Yeah. And everybody, everybody could do it. Everybody could switch. Everybody could get rid of the polybag if, if, if they decided to and, and we're, and we're willing to take that economical hit economic hit to pay a little bit more and to spend a little bit of time and energy on doing so and everybody can do it.
1: Is there a um, a vendor like name that you'd want to throw out there for folks to look into if they're looking to switch away from the poly bags?
0: Yeah. The, the Vela bag, V E L A um, is, is, is the vendor that we've switched over to that we're, we're very pleased with thus far. We have our first, first large shipment of product that we're receiving with, using using that product and it's all it's a paper based bag.
1: Awesome. Kind of talking a little bit too, so so you you're doing a lot of great in the like cleaning up of of the like direct cleanup of the oceans and hands on in that way, but you also do a really cool job with actually inventing different kinds of materials that are more sustainable. I'm curious how how did that evolve?
0: You know, we we are a business that that likes to look at the market and use the most sustainable um, alternative out there, so organic cotton, recycled polyester, wool, um, you know, other natural materials. But there has been instances where we look at things and we say, you know, there's 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 other opportunities for us to be a really a supply chain innovator as well as a supply chain follower. Everybody has to have everybody has to like to be viable, especially in fashion. You know, cost and. Viability and supply is, is is always a balance, but like innovation is hard, and but innovation is also where you raise the bar and you go beyond the status quo. So like if everybody was just following the status quo, we would never see any evolution in sustainability or anything, right? So I'm a big believer that United by Blues' role in this in this world of sustainability is you know we innovated and we're a vanguard in. Environmental activism as a part of our business model, again, first mover and sort of saying, "Hey, we don't have to give away money. We don't have to give away product. We can actually internalize and do something environmental within our own organization in a in a very active way." Same thing with um, material. You know, a good example of that is bison fiber. We basically started using wool, and the wool was, you know, we were using some wool in our socks, and it was, it's that's a great, you know, natural fiber got a ton of great technical properties, but so does every other, so does most other natural fibers, like natural, or especially animal-based fibers, you know, the purpose of a, of a, of a, of a animal fiber is, is for warmth. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not for comfort. It's not for petting or whatever. it's, It's to keep the animal warm. And so there's a growing bison ranching industry, meat industry in the United States, which is and North America as a whole. And it's regenerative in nature. It's actually a much, it still has environmental impact, don't get me wrong, but it has a much lesser impact on the environment than traditional ranching and other other meat production does. And it's regenerative because the bison is a native species to the plains of North America and bringing them back into their native habitat is actually really positive for the grasslands, which helps with sequestering carbon. And it's it's a you know it's it's the healthier meat. It doesn't use antibiotics and hormones to raise it. It's a great, generally speaking, it's a much better meat industry than any other meat industry out there that I that I'm aware of. And um, unless you're you know unless you're you're you know hunting and gathering, <laughs> but that's not a reality for for, for most people. Um, so. The byproduct of that industry though is is the fiber which was not being utilized. And so it's been a while, five, six, seven years ago, identified that as a as a as a, as an opportunity, knowing that the fiber was being wasted. And so basically United by Blue inserted ourselves into the supply chain, this ranching industry, and said, Hey, we'll start diverting some of this waste product into beautiful products. And um like the socks that I'm wearing right now are uh 25% bison fiber and it's an amazing fiber it's super warm it's super luxurious it's soft um our jacket insulations have bison fiber in them um we've been able to use tens of thousands of pounds of bison fiber over the years um and keep it from being incinerated or or thrown in a landfill and so you know use what is av- using what is available what is on this planet naturally occurring is the most sustainable way that you can build product Um, synthetics especially non-recyclable ones are are the worst way you can do that like acrylic and other products like that so we you know we use we use polyester but we use recycled polyester Um, but we we try to stay away from synthetics as much as we can
1: and when driving that innovation how how have you kind of crafted that at the company like is it Like, is it that you're out doing research or are you getting ideas pitched from other folks in the company or is there like a team that does that? Or I'm just curious, how does that all manifest?
0: Sure. I mean, Bison, Bison was fully in house. Uh, It was a passion project of mine from day one. That was, that was something that, you know, I think I was just like laying around thinking about different materials and thinking about Bison and started researching it and went down a rabbit hole. And found myself as a member of the National Bison Association and a, you know, a, a, a proud uh, owner of a pound of bison fiber trying to figure out what to do with it. And um, that, that was very much like, like, uh, just, a, and then, and then, you know, over the years, a group effort to really innovate within that confines of using bison fiber. And, you know, we have a patent on bison fiber batting inflation, we have you know, a sub brand within the company, which is part of United by Blue called Bison Shield, which is our proprietary sort of technology around utilization of bison fiber in the various different products like socks and jackets. We have a lot of research and development going into that still. Bison fiber is still very much under underutilized part of our 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 own supply as well as you know supply chain in general. But you know, outside of that, I mean, we're, we're we haven't taken anything to, of that scale to market beyond beyond that 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 we sort of spearheaded from the very, very, very beginning. Um, other areas that we've, you know, experimented with materials are where, you know, people do come to us now as a market leader in sustainability and say, Hey, I got this really cool thing going on. You know, would you would you be willing to take a look at it? And, you know, us maybe deciding whether or not it's worth it's 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 gonna work out or not. Like there's, you know, this one thing that I'm still very optimistic that we can figure out how to use, but we've been experimenting with Himalayan metal for um for a while, or we've been talking about it for a while, and um, it still hasn't been brought to market at scale. And there's there's a lot of complexities with it, and it just goes to show how complicated something so uncomplicated can can be when you think about like a fiber. It's we're not building rocket ships um, by any means. So like I always have to like in many ways, both good and bad ways, remind my team that you know that's what we're doing is 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 simpler than building rocket ships, but Maybe not by that much because uh, innovation within fiber and apparel is quite timely it, and, and it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dev. It takes a lot of trial and error. And um, I think what you'll see out of United by Blue in the in the next five to 10 years, you know, if, if out of the first five to 10 years you saw innovation within our mission and things like BISON and other sustainable, sustainability initiatives, the next five to 10 years will be a lot more about supply chain a lot more about fiber innovation and uncovering a lot more opportunities within the natural fiber world um, for use. Um, That's what I'm excited about.
1: That's really cool. That's really cool. I know some other uh, exclusive materials that you all have are the soft hemp, the eco knit uh, revolution, all day chambray, go dry list goes on. I'm curious, do you have a a favorite or is that like asking someone to choose between their children?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Bison Shield is my is my favorite. Um, but after that, you know, I do love soft hemp. I think what we've done in the hemp side of the business is uh, super important right now. Hemp is probably, you know, from a natural fiber standpoint, one of the more important, if not the most important, natural fibers that the textile industry has just started to embrace. And that's because the you know the U.S. had a whole slew of mishaps or mistakes. Policy mistakes over 50 years since the Nixon Nixon administration, uh, basically banning industrial hemp or or any type of hemp that was, you know, basically unfairly wrapped into characterization of marijuana, which is not the case. Hemp and marijuana are actually different plants. It's like that's a good analogy. I mean, it's like it's like a uh, a cat and a dog. You know, it's like it's like they're they're different. They they're both animals, four legs, furry, domestic pets but they're different. And um, industrial hemp doesn't have high levels of THC. You'd have to smoke like, I don't know, a whole barrel of a cigarette, hemp cigarettes to get high. Nobody's going to do that. Um, But it was banned. So you couldn't grow hemp in America until 2018. Um, Yeah, it's recent. And so now hemp is just starting to come back to the United States from a, from a farming standpoint. Yes, it's, it's been legal overseas. So there has been hemp textiles, but the restriction within the U.S. really made it such that cotton is the primary fiber used in apparel, whereas hemp 100 years ago was more prevalent than cotton in, in textiles. And so hemp is uses half the amount of water. It doesn't require fertilizers or insecticides or irrigation. Um, it's regenerative. So it, it is a miracle textile fiber. And, um, soft hemp is our, our, our brand, our, our interpretation of, of hemp in textiles. And so I'm really excited about that. You'll see that get used an increasing amount, not only with United by Blue, but also I think the fashion world in general is going to embrace hemp in a bit in a big way in the coming years.
1: That's really cool. And and so also in, in addition to all of that, you do even more like really cool community work. I know, especially in the wake of, of COVID this past year, you all opened up some of your shops in Philadelphia and really kind of invited the community in, in, in ways of being able to provide meals for folks. Can you explain a little bit about how, how this past year unfolded for you all and, and how that kind of fell into place?
0: Sure. So, when Covid hit um, and stores were ordered to shut in Philadelphia and across the country, we um, we have cafes in our stores, so we're actually we were we were able to keep we kept one of our two stores in Philadelphia open because we could with the the food aspect and uh, what we did not not so much to sell apparel and stuff like that that actually we sort of closed down but the the food aspect the kitchen aspect we kept open both to keep employees but also to provide especially in those you know those early scary days where nobody knew what was going on we created a, a, a local sort of marketplace for groceries and essentials like toilet paper and paper towels and things like that in philadelphia right right in our store so it turned into almost like a, a mini whole foods um which you know people really appreciated because it was at a time where you know they could place their order they could come and pick up a box of groceries and not have to go out in the na- really servicing the, the local neighborhood there. So that was the first evolution of that, which which allowed us to keep that store open, people employed, and also servicing and providing groceries and essentials to the neighborhood. What then evolved in, into a bigger thing was we started working with uh, a local insurance company, Independence Blue Cross, part of Blue Cross Blue Shield network. Uh, they approached us about delivering groceries to high-risk seniors basically medicare medicaid members um, that they wanted to deliver groceries to to keep safe to to keep them from going out and getting COVID. and so we started to pack uh boxes of groceries um under contract with independence blue cross to basically and then deliver we bought a bunch of vans we have like a fleet of seven or eight vans down in philadelphia which on a daily basis are still circulating the region, delivering uh, you know up to a couple thousand boxes of gro- groceries weekly to seniors in the area. And so not only is that a great way for us to use our business for good, because it is a positive way of helping counter COVID, but it's also a great way to boost employment. We've been able to, to employ 20, 30 people in that program. Uh, so we've actually kept our, although we did have layoffs and we did have a lot of issues, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat the challenges of COVID initially. Um, we've been able to do things like this to really stay, uh, around and rebound
1: from some of those initial challenges. Wow. That is really, really great. And thank you for, for all that work that you all are doing. That's so important. What are, I'm curious, what are some other ways that you, you know, were able to pivot the the business side in order to continue serving, um, the community, but, but also keeping the business afloat.
0: I mean, initially, you know, the impacts of COVID were cut deep. It was a uh, wholesale is a big part of our business. More than half of our business derives from selling other retail stores are you out of blue products, apparel, accessories, various things like that. And, um, and that was a, that was a really big impact. I mean, like, and rightfully so, like in March when everything's shutting down, April, um, stores couldn't take, stores couldn't take products. Stores were shut. So of course, that's going to come back on vendors like us. And so, you know, we lost a lot of that spring revenue as a result of the COVID shutdowns. You know, those, like every business went through, we had to tighten our belt and really just put our head down and figure out solutions. One of them is this grocery program that that, that came out of it. Another is, um, you know, shifting more of our focus to -to direct-to-consumer sales through our e-commerce website, unitedbyblue.com, which has done... You know, exceptionally well through this time, we've been able to really put more focus and dedication to speaking to our customers directly, um, which is a healthy way of building our brand and something that you know works with or without COVID. And um, and then uh, you know, other transformations. We're changing some of our strategies around our product and our distribution. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem innovative now, but you know, coming out with face masks in April and Holy cow, that was crazy. I mean, I've never seen any type of demand for a product launch. It's, you know, we were, we were, we were sitting there like second, first, second week of April. Uh, it was like a week or two after the CDC announced that they recommended face masks. And um, I remember putting the face mask up and uh, looking at my phone and seeing like, you know, it was like multiple transactions a second. It was, like, it was like crazy, crazy volume of sales. This was because there was, you know, very limited stock. I mean, people were like people that were seeing a, a face mask for the first time were buying it. it didn't matter who it was, what it was. Uh, it's not a way to build a brand. I mean, there's plenty of face mask businesses that probably launched in COVID that are done by now because face masks are, you know, not a, not a long-term prospect. I'll put it that way. Hopefully not a long-term prospect, but for us at the time it was making up for that imbalance of business elsewhere. Um, and, you know, we sold, we sold over a million dollars of face masks, things like that. And, and that's, you know, testament to the team's ability to sort of like react and evolve, even when they were going through their own emotional and personal struggles with, you know, working from home, not knowing if their job was going to be secure, et cetera, et cetera. It was a very challenging, turbulent time for everybody. But, um, you know, the company that, reacted and evolved to some of those opportunities that came out to a testament to transactions a second. Like it's, it's a, th- there was plenty of opportunity within COVID. If you looked for it, it was just a matter of finding it.
1: And that's, that's a a, a great perspective to take. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, I'll, I'll leave it on that note. Cause that's a good, that's a great, great place to leave that. Um, B Corps. I'm curious, how did B Corps, where did you learn about B Corps and, and what made you kind of pursue B Corp certification?
0: So we were one of the early B Corps, um, I wouldn't say, you know, one of the first, but we were one of the first 300 or so B Corps. Um, I think we became a B Corp 2011 or 12, somewhere around there. Believe it or not, B Corp, uh, B Lab, which is the certification agency of B Corporations, is based outside of Philadelphia. And so my initial interactions with B Corporation as a certification was, was actually through a cleanup because we had some people from one of the earlier B Corps. For us that came out and they were a coffee company called one village coffee and their founder came to our cleanup i think they were donating coffee actually and um and they had the b corp logo on their packaging and this is back before i mean people put their b corp logo on packaging now but like they were one of the first ones to do it it was it was it was all it was very interesting to me and i got a chance to talk to him and got a chance to learn about what it was then i got a chance to meet with the founders of b lab because they're philadelphia based and um you know they've been people that work at b-lab or within the philadelphia community so we're just very fortunate to be in philadelphia no which i don't think many people would assume that b-lab is philadelphia is not the uh, mecca for social entrepreneurship you'd think it came from like california or something or you know seattle but no it came from philadelphia so that's how i interacted with it we became certified um and uh we've been certified ever since
1: that's awesome what was kind of the biggest challenge in, in certifying and, and recertifying and how do you kind of work through that
0: you know it's the recertifying that's been actually more challenging as we scale and that's just me being transparent that you know as you get bigger there's more there's more areas to go wrong in right when you're when you're when you're small getting certified is actually not that challenging cuz if you're small pretty hard to be you know like like there's not much to look at if you're messing up as a small company from a environmental sustainable social impact standpoint and that's and your intention is not to then it's like well what are you doing? You got like five employees, you got like, you know, 10 customers, you got one vendor. Like it's pretty straightforward. When you start to get more infrastructure, more scale, the visibility and transparency into all aspects of the business become a lot more challenging. So it's not so much that like you're doing wrong. It's you may not have all the answers and you may not have all the visibility into all of those nooks and crannies that um, you have in like a much bigger house. So so the recertification has been more time consuming, more laborious, more people involved. Um, we're actually going through a recertification right now where our score is actually going up substantially because we worked hard on a lot of what happened after our last certification, which, which our score came down. Um, so we, we, had a, we had a really nice score. And then at one point, our, our score came down a lot because of these issues of transparency and understanding all of the aspects of our business. This was a few years ago, and then for the last few years, we've been working on making sure that by the time we get recertified next time, we had a lot more of that solved for. And now the score is going back up.
1: That's really cool. How now? How did you kind of, I guess, shine the flashlight in those in those nooks and crannies that were maybe hard to to find? I'm, I'm thinking about like other B Corps that are listening or that are maybe going through recertification. Uh, you know, do you have any advice for them or, or kind of lessons learned in, in kind of setting yourself up for success?
0: Sure. I mean, a lot of it, well, a big portion of it is having process down. So having policies and process, which sounds, especially to an early, early, early business or early entrepreneur, like sounds like bureaucratic or just like busy work, but like, it is important to have process and policy. And like, that might be a manufacturer code of conduct. You know, uh, like making sure that the manufacturers that we're using are agreeing to certain code that they're providing backup documentation and you know visibility into their own way of doing things. Not just rolling the dice on somebody that looks good or sounds good or makes another product that you you know know the brand is probably looking at them. You you got to you got to have your ducks in order with with like documentation and process and policy. Same thing with like employee stuff like. Do you have, you know, a maternity policy? Do you have a paternity policy? Do you have what's your sick leave policy? Like, again, not rocket science, but but important for a business as it scales to have, and for those policies to be reflective of what is best for the employee, as well as the you know community and society as a whole, not just what's good for the company, but what's good for the for 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 the people, um, because that's what B Corp is not just about sustainability, it's about it's about governance, it's about your board of directors, it's about diversity, it's about a lot of those things. So understanding really that the policy and procedure aspect of running a business is not always like, at least the traditional way of doing things is not always the same way that a B Corp is going to score you or you're going to get a good B Corp score for because how we've been doing things in the past as, a, as, a, as, a, as businesses, as a capitalist society is not necessarily the way that the B Corp movement is moving in. It's 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 about doing things better, and um and recognizing, and identifying areas like that that you can work on is is a big part of I think what what the B Corp certification process does for an organization it, it helps you think about those things a little bit differently.
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm curious what has been kind of the biggest benefit of being a B Corp for you? Being being a B
0: Corp, I think, has always been. Because we've been at it for so long, eight years now, I, I believe, it, it's always been sort of a, a North Star uh, in terms of re- recognizing both, you know, for our employees, like they, they, they you know, come into this organization, because almost everybody that is at this organization has come into what is a B Corporation, like there's really nobody prior to that. So so they, they're joining an organization that they know has a North Star of this, you know, that's that, Maybe maybe the B Corp logo is not the North Star, but it's 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 like the 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 pathway and the or the bumpers that basically help you get to that North Star. That's a weird analogy, but um, it, it is like the bumpers. It's like, okay, would a B Corp do this? Or you know, now that we're taking things like process and policy and governance more seriously, it's like, okay, is this is this what is this the is this the right way for the people and for the planet to do this? And then the B Corp score reflects that. So when you get recertified all the time, we've gone through three, I don't know, three or four recerts. You know, it's it's a matter of like, you you start to identify those things. And you do start to think about like, I don't want my score to go down. Like going going down was like not good. Like I was like, that's not all right. Next time we're going to work on these things. We're going to make sure that our score goes up. And lo and behold, when you focus on anything in life and you, you put discipline towards it, you can, you can improve it. I guess the benefit to answer your question has been providing guidance and support and really like the bumpers for building, because everybody wants to build a, or at least least within this organization, everybody wants to build and be a part of a, a responsible, socially responsible and environmentally responsible organization. But it's hard and it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to know sometimes what is right and wrong you know, or what, what is the, what is the best way that we can do something? And I think that that's what B Corp and B Corp certification helps you learn about and identify.
1: Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm curious too, to that. And, uh, I know, uh, you have your partnership with Luke's Lobster. Have you partnered with other B Corps and, and kind of what have those looked like?
0: We've, we've definitely had our fair share of, of B Corp partnerships. I, I, I can't say I have like a, a, a list of them that, that, that comes to mind, but, um, we've done a ton of collaborations like product collaborations over the years with, with B corporations where we've worked together to, you know, launch a co-branded product and, and, and knowing, knowing, knowing that another organization that you're working with is a B Corp. Just, I think makes it easier to like navigate because it's like, Oh, you're a B Corp. I'm a B Corp. There's a, there's almost like a trusted seal of approval there. And then you can go to the next, like you can almost like skip over the, the, the formalities of like, you know, making sure that you're, 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 you're on the same page. Like, both care about the same things if you're a B Corp, generally speaking. And therefore, you can focus on, okay, now what are we going to do together to, to do something really cool, make something really cool and and bring value to the people and planet. Um, so, I would say that a lot of our partnerships from a product standpoint have been B Corporation. So, if you see anything like that, we also do a lot of third-party party sales on our website and in our stores now where we, not just United by Blue Branded products, but it's third-party products, so other brands that we believe in. And B Corporation is is big time something we look for. So if you're, if you're a B corporation and, um, you know, you want to, you want to be a part of a really cool, trendy sustainability marketplace, which is United by blue. Um, that that's an easy way for us to like validate their responsibility.
1: Well, I'm curious looking so reflecting back on this whole journey of building United by blue from idea to, to where, where you sit today, what have been some of your fondest memories in the journey uh, in, in building and leading United by blue
0: fondest memories. Um, you know, I, I think some of the fondest memories certainly come from the, the later, the most recent years of cleanups where i have gone merely as a participant. I, I had to early on, I had to be, you know, the first one there setting up the tent, Lighting the barbecue, making it like all work, you know dealing with dealing with the trash disposal and everything like that, which I was happy to do and it was a big part of my 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 history but now i I show up with my kids who I didn't have when I started and and there's hundreds of people there all wanting to pick up trash together and um and really that's 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 a beautiful thing and i'm a and i'm a my and the team is like running it and uh, to see that is super humbling because, you know, you do realize as an entrepreneur that, you know, when you build something, it's just like a kid, um, which I'm still actively raising, but like, and the company is also being actively raised, but they're sort of, it's sort of in its teenage years now, It's it, it's got some freedom, it can do its own thing, it still needs guidance and discipline, but, you know, you can watch it and you can appreciate what it is and, um, and a cleanup. Getting a ton of volunteers and seeing the staff manage it and do everything that needed to be done, the partnerships with the waste removals, trash being responsibly taken, blah, blah, blah all of that, without having to like worry that it's going to all fall apart, is definitely fulfilling. And then you know, seeing—I I think the other the other big thing would be, you know, on, on the product side and on 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 that side of things, it's like seeing—you know—anytime you see United by Blue in the wild, for me is. Still very fulfilling, you know, seeing somebody walk around with it, seeing it in the stores, you know, seeing people interact with it um, that's very fulfilling as well
1: that's awesome for aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, what advice would you give someone who's listening to this and has an idea for a purpose driven business that they want to start, but maybe they haven't yet for whatever reason what what advice would you give to those folks?
0: you know i i what I would tell an aspiring social entrepreneur is that you don't have to change the world to change the world. You don't have to address the biggest issues. You know, you don't have to solve climate change to make an impact. Identify the things that are that, that are meaningful and passionate to you. And, you know, when I started United by Blue, ocean plastic pollution was far more important to me than what was the average person and still is, I guess. But like, it wasn't a topic of conversation even uh, 10, 12 years ago. People knew about it, but didn't really think much about it. Recently, it's become something that celebrities are, you know, clamoring over. You have tons of other brands that have come out and, and started to address, you know, the issues of plastic pollution and, you know, doing the same exact mission as us. They, they've been inspired by by what we've done. And um, that's humbling. And, and that just goes to show you that change comes in waves. Change change doesn't happen in one big tsunami, you know, it's 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 an evolution and it's 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 waves of change. And if you identify something that you care about, chances are other people do care about it. And there's a business to be built off of a lot of different causes. And it's important that you identify a cause that, you know, for a decade now I've I've remained focused on and, and passionate about and still still care about. So you can't brands brands take businesses take a long a long time to build and it's important that whatever you do from a from a from a social impact standpoint that it's something that you can be focused on for that long of long of a time as well
1: thank you so much for joining us today to find links to learn more about united by blue stop by the show notes at responsiblydifferent.com And in the spirit of Earth Day, get outside, go enjoy your favorite public space and bring a trash bag to clean it up. Our team is going to be going to a local park tomorrow to do a large afternoon cleanup. So keep your eyes on our Instagram for our updates on our cleanup adventure. Next time on Responsibly Different, I sit down with the president and CEO of Better World Books, Dustin Holland.
0: Essentially for every book. That we sell on betterworldbooks.com, so our own website, we donate a book to somebody in need somewhere around the world. So like you said, we've donated well in excess of 26 million books.
1: We're all in this together. Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of Dear Go Collective music composed by our own Kevin Oates. You can follow us on social media at Dirgo Collective or visit our corner of the internet at dirgocollective.com.